Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here with you, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul. And here we are, season five. We got re-upped for for another one, Uh, our our Netflix uh, contract. I I wonder if the same characters are going to be on the season. (laughs) Yup, it's us, right? (laughs) I think we got it. Yeah. yeah. There there are no other applications. So it's... uh, It's just us or auditions, I guess you would say. I don't know. Uh, So this season, we are going to talk about assembling a group practice, you know, some kind of overview issues um, with with that, some of the challenges, some things to think about, who you should be working with, what to do and when. Uh, I'm just going to lead off with this by saying, uh, in this particular world, there's no kind of like right way to do it. You know, there's so many different ways to go about assembling a group practice. And I think uh, so much of it depends on the resources that you have, the opportunities yeah. that are presented, uh, the region where you're you're looking to to assemble this group practice. There's no kind of one playbook with yeah, this. And the, the other R you're saying is the relationships. So, you know, resources, relationships. Yeah, right. I mean, region, the three R's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So today what we're going to talk about the kind of the broad topic in this first episode of forming a DSO and who you want to... Uh, who's going to be on the team. But, uh, you know, it really is, you know, again, it, it, understand that there's just no right way yeah. to do it. And this probably more so than anything that we're, that we get involved with, it really runs the gamut as far as the size, the the way that they're, they're managed, where they get their money. And um, these impact your ability to, to, to grow that practice. So, uh, and I think, you know, what I would say too is, you know, forming a DSO and assembling a group practice, it's just like anything, you have to be careful about growing, you know, and whether it's growing your practice internally, you know, your one location or your two locations, or if you're looking at assembling a 10 location, 20, 30 locations, um, you know, it, growth is hard. Right. You know, and uh, to the extent that you can plan for it, you'll be better off. So when we're talking about forming a DSO, uh, we're talking about, you know, dental services organization, uh, you know, what uh, what we're looking at really is is a management agreement, yeah. you know, a management administrative services relationship with the practice. So at a very basic level in, in the DSO model, you have the practice or the practice entity yeah. that then enters into a management services agreement with the management company, i.e. the DSO. And that DSO is agreeing to provide all of the non-clinical services to that 
uh, to that practice. So everything that supports the practice. And what that ends up being is everything except the dentistry, yeah. right? So the dentists in the practice do the dentistry, the actual professional services, and then everything else in the practice is done by the DSO for a fee. And um, so that's sort of like the basic you know, starting point. There are different ways that we would see that modeled uh, depending on what the practice's strategy is for growth. And we'll talk about that in another episode. You know, if you're thinking about bringing associates on in some sort of equity role in yeah. a particular location, there may be a sub-DSO that is responsible for managing just that location yeah. that would then enter into uh, an outsourcing agreement, basically an independent contractor arrangement with the parent DSO. And if I ask a question, if I ask a question for our audience, this is a language you talk a lot, Rob. This management organization, uh, are they often also or required to be investors in the practice and have a investment inside of it, or can they simply just manage it for a fee without anything else, any other? Uh, influence or not influence, any other relationship on the outcome of it? Yeah. I mean, well, they, they are not supposed to be able to influence the clinical decisions yeah. of the practice. Uh, essentially, the value of the practice ends up at the management company in right. this scenario, because the management company is the one that's making the money off of, yeah. off of this. And where the, where the profit is, is where, is where the value is. Uh, so those people are commonly not dentists that own those management companies. And obviously the, the practice entity that enters into that management agreement is owned by a dentist or dentists. And we do see now too, that just as we expand this concept of group practices, the DPO, which is what they say is dentist provider organization. Is this where in your experience, one kind of comes to mind when I'm thinking of it, they just have a, a lot of dentist faces on these teams? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the same thing. Same thing. DPO, DSO, yeah. same thing. You know, yeah. just calling it different branding. Well, you like, you like Kyle Francis, because I asked him that, he goes, it's the same word for different marketing, right? Different yeah. marketing. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically like there's another entity that has a role in the administrative and management part of your practice who's not you. Right. Whereas, you know, we just came from our previous season of buying a practice where it's it's all you, right? You know, it's it's all you as, as the owner-operator. So I think that kind of gives our audience a background on what a DSO is and how it impacts your professional life different. Because actually, I mean, uh, we'll talk about this as the seasons go along, but most of the time in the circle of the dentist life, this is 15 to 25 years into their career, would you say? Yeah, probably. Typically. Not usually year one. No, not, definitely not year one. And, and if somebody comes to us year one with this, like, we're <laughs> suspicious of what, yeah. they, what they got going on. But you know, there are definitely entrepreneurial dentists that are looking to, to do this sooner than later in their careers. Um, there are you know, tremendous opportunities to grow a portfolio of practices and, and sell it for yeah. a whole lot of money, which you know, that, that inspires some people to, to yeah. kind of look into that. Um, so that that's kind of the structure. And you know, one of the questions, and this is a, really becomes a planning thing, is like when do you form that management company, that DSO? You know, like you don't need to do it when you have one practice. Right. You could, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You may not need to do it when you have two practices or three. But as you grow, uh, it starts to make sense to 
form that that entity and put that relationship in place so that you're able to pay your non-clinical staff who's working in all these different offices through that through that DSO right. instead of these employee sharing agreements between office to office yeah. which can be a little bit uh, a little bit cumbersome but um, you know that really again depends on the nature of the of the practice the size the locations uh, and the preference of the of the owners and the people that are yeah. consulting them as to when when to actually make that step. Actually, doing it is not that big of a deal. You know, it's just really putting a few documents yeah. in place. Um, but uh, it's something that you don't want to do before you've started to to grow and expand right. for the most part. So. When you look at, you know, kind of assembling a group practice, kind of step back. I mean, we talked about some of the the technical details and the sort of the, the legal technicalities of what a, a DSO arrangement is, what the management agreement is. But really, you know, this is just generally, you know, we're talking about assembling a practice just like yeah. anything else, buying practices or doing startups, whatever your your model is, and we'll We'll talk about that on a, on another uh, on another episode, but uh, you know, with that, you know, who's going to actually be doing that work? Right. And what I've seen over the years, it's one of the challenges that dentists face. Again, just like any business owner, small business owner, is how to how to manage that growth. And you know, you've heard me talk about this, right. and you know, I think you obviously understand and and are on the same page with this. That it's the challenge of operating a professional practice. You know, where you are the one who's making the donuts. Now, if you also have aspirations to grow the practice and assemble this this group of, of practices, who's going to be out there actually doing these acquisitions or canvassing for right. these startups? You, you, it's very difficult to do that when you're a chairside right. dentist, right? So part of what I've seen, the the people that are successful at growing a group practice, they realize that they need to get a business person involved. Right. Uh, and you may have to share some of the, the ownership and the equity and the profit of this overall enterprise with that person. But you know, from our perspective, it's always nice when we have that person to deal with. We you know, we've got no problem dealing with dentists who are serving in that role, but it's hard. You know, like there's only so many hours in the day. And that's why, Rob, maybe I'll ask you, because you do in different spaces, because I think this would be valuable in the forming of the DSO episode. Why do you think that it's super common to see this in medicine and maybe less common in the vet and DSO, vet and dental space, but it's emerging in that? Because it seems like medical doctors are a quarter of a century ahead. You know, my orthopedic surgeon guy is like, oh, yeah, we sold out to a hospital system. We now work with them. It's kind of ho-hum, yeah. right? It wasn't like some giant thing like, now they're making me do 20 knee surgeries when I used to do 10. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure... You know, it was just a hygiene visit, so it wasn't like we had this deep conversation, but I just, you know, you see a name change on a door. Even when we had um, our youngest daughter's pediatrician, they brought us in for the night to talk about their practice. They had sold out to Advocare. They said, hey, we're a group of women pediatricians. We want to focus on medicine for your kids, and we want someone else to do the back end stuff. Right. And I'm not naive enough as a dentist to think that that's all, maybe it was Stephen Trutter, Unicorn and Rainbows, Yeah, but it's very normal in the medical space. Yeah, well, it's, it, it's kind of a necessary evil. I mean, the, the regulations for physicians are just, it's such a, a much higher regulated yeah. industry that 
it's almost impossible to run a mom and pop physician right. practice now. You know, you really need those resources. You know, and it's just so much of that is driven by by Medicare and other insurance. You know, they've got challenges with the insurance world that is way worse than what you know, dentists have to deal with in a lot of cases. Um, but, you know, this gets us into, this is a whole nother conversation though, that, you know, how, you know, I wouldn't say broken, but challenged our healthcare system right. is, you but know, in this in country. In the foreign that, portion, it's like, you know, if someone's listening to this or at the gym, they're thinking, why the heck would I ever want to form a DSO? And you and I both know there are exhausted but enthusiastic private practice owners that say, I can't do it this way anymore. Mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. they may be making seven figures a year. They might be yeah. on, its, on its face, very financially successful. They can be making $600,000 a year, but they're still the one who has to figure out when hygienist number four quits mm -hmm. or assistant. And the hope is that you get some help in the things that you really didn't go to dental school to do or ever want to do, but you had to do them to do your dentistry. Yeah, no, I think you're talking about, and it depends, you know, the context of that too. Like if you're talking about getting help because you're going to sell your practice and let somebody else deal with that, you know, we're what we're talking about is, you know, you're growing this. And so you're you're the one that's going to be putting those people in place right. or you're doing it yourself. Um, and I think, look, you know, also when you talk about physician groups and physician practices that were part of the health system, those physicians are just loss leaders right. for this bigger thing. You know, like the, the, what they're really selling are these other services that, you know, the hospital and the health system is making a ton of money yeah. off of. They're not making money off of your your 20-minute checkup, right? right? Yeah, there's yeah. no value in that, you right. know, but there's a bigger, uh, a bigger picture. But uh, I think, you know, Really, you know, and that this this brings us to the next sort of subtopic with this is is who are you going to have on your team, you know, and are you going to employ somebody who is a non dentist to help with the acquisitions or the startups? And again, as I said a few minutes ago, in our world, it's a great scenario because if we're working on deals and you know, we need to talk to the client. It's nice to have somebody who's just dedicated to talk to the lawyers, to right. talk to the brokers, to talk to the due diligence people, to talk to the CPAs. Like that's, it's a good position to be in, and you may have to pay that person a fair amount right. of money. But you know, it's the the ROI on that if they're right. going to be able to go out and and help to you to make good deals and and grow the practice while you're still focused on the clinical aspect of things. That really can be the best of yeah, both worlds. For sure. Um, but you know, there there definitely are challenges with with the growth in a lot of ways. And which one of the things that we see, and, and a lot of this is is obviously dependent on where what region you're in, which is you know, competition for buying practices, you know, and you know, our clients that we helped to grow their practice portfolio in the early two thousands, it was really easy then. Right. You know, it was so much of a, of a buyer's market at that time that you show up, you say, here's the asset purchase agreement. We're not really changing much. You know, right. this is what we're going to pay. You're going to like it or not. And, and that's it. And the deals got done. Now, you know, there are so many other practice groups and people that are trying to form these group practices that it's a very competitive uh world for, for buyers, as you see, you know, in the for brokerage sure. world. Well, I mean, maybe you could just clue our listeners into you basically have more purchasing power when you form a DSO. You have the ability to capture deals through your group that you wouldn't be as an individual and 
sometimes it's very attractive to a dentist for so many reasons, right? Not just only being able to have someone help with the management side, but also, you know, building something that they're proud of and in the sense of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be, but, uh, you know, by, by the same token that that's not, that doesn't always come together yeah. easily either, you know, and, and the, the ability to, to buy, to have that standing. I mean, you're talking about supplies and things or you're talking about buying practices? Well, kind of both. And, you know, just in the, in the deals I do with these, sometimes someone will say, Hey, what do you think of me selling to XYZ DSO? They want to buy my practice and then also go do other more deals with me. Mm-hmm. And I will share as someone who is, you know, fortunately I've always worked with my brother and my dad and other dentists. Yeah. Um, so there's camaraderie, but I can kind of see that as being an attractive opportunity to certain dentists who are not necessarily ready to hang up the handpiece yet, totally. but also don't want to do it on their own. Yeah, it's yeah. this middle ground mm-hmm. form of DSO opportunity that's not... See, I think a lot of dentists, Rob, think DSOs are evil and they are you know, ruining everything, mm-hmm. but it's their own colleagues that are forming them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's- Some cases. It's, it's, no, but the dentists have to participate at oh, some yeah. level They're for facilitating this to happen. It. Yeah. So someone that they know at a CE course has right. done this. And right. I, if you if you ask them and you're willing to have some of these uncomfortable conversations with your colleagues, they're going to say, hey, some are going to say, I got involved in forming a DSO is the worst decision I made. Some are going to say it's the best decision. And it's a, I'll, I'll use your, it's, a, it's an it depends decision. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just, we're giving some really good context as to, what it looks like and also why right you know somebody would want to be involved with this right and but but by the same token too like you know we talked about in last season you know the importance of the transition and the culture yeah. you know it, it ups the ante really with this because if you're you're looking if you're assembling a group of practices you generally want to have one kind of way of doing it. There needs to be some sort of uniformity. So if you're talking about buying right. practices and and putting them under the same umbrella, you want there to be similar well, that's why culture. I in I each get, of these I'll, I'll try to come up with one for each episode from the LOPP. But the, I was thinking for this one, the Dennis Gaff GAF get along ability factor. Mm-hmm. So the get along ability factor is the key to all of this, right? And right. You know, how well can you get along? Who are you? I mean, I, I'll just tell a quick fun story. The Her Place Supper Club, you know, a few blocks from here, this woman, um, uh, Amanda, who started it, I mean, she's become like a celebrity chef. And I went there with Mary and she described every dish and it was just out of this world. And then my team member said, well, they're now opening a bigger restaurant because someone says, hey, Amanda, we want you to do a bigger restaurant. And for all I know, Amanda's like that solo GP who's doing great in her small supper club. And now she's forming a restaurant DSO. Right. And we've seen here in Philadelphia. That never that, ends well. Right. That, right. That, you know, we've seen things happen where, you know, look at Mark Vetri. He's kind of said, take my rest of my restaurants. I want to go back to being solo. Mark right. Vetri. Right. So I think it's, you know, it, the exciting part, I guess, and the interesting part is like, there's a lot of commotion around dentistry, right? Rob? Mm-hmm. With this, yeah. <clears throat> a lot of people putting um, a lot of, uh, ha- attention on purchasing. I mean, I get calls and messages sometimes weekly about, you want to sell your practice mm-hmm. to me and form a DSO. And I said, it is kind of annoying today. Maybe today's the day. Yeah, right. I, st- I still have always continued to say no. But that's the point. I mean, but there's a lot of competition there and that's yeah. why. But I think the other thing too, just to keep in mind that it really ups the ante as far as like the quality of the acquisition. Right. You know, because what you're really talking about to a large extent is like this, this absentee 
you know, op, uh, management of the practice to some extent. Yeah. So, you know, when you're looking at bringing on these practices, it only takes like one or two, if you have a group of 10 or more, to really become a problem. You know, and and it's no easier for DSOs to shed themselves of the bad, the right. bad deals, and the the stakes get higher. You know, when you're trying to to grow the practice, and if you have one practice that's very unprofitable, that has the ability of bringing everything yeah. else down, and that impacts your ability to borrow and raise money, and so you know you can't really do bad deals. The you know the the DSOs that I've observed that have had problems that have failed. You know, or had to, you know, sell it at a fire sale, uh, are ones that made bad acquisitions right. flat out. And it's know? like, you know, it's like the Jim Collins right person, right bus thing. You see, I've worked in the restaurant industry for years, and this chef who was just so amazing, but every one of his restaurants went out of business because he was great at making the food and horrific with people. Right, mm -hmm. like so when they backed him to open two restaurants, yes, they got all this acclaim. I don't remember. I, I don't want to tell you on the podcast tell you afterwards, but now they're all out of business, and he had to go back to being a chef underneath someone because he was not the right person right. to lead this. And there's just, I think dentists have to start, they have to start using muscles they've never used. Right. You know, so it's- Or get people right. on board that that have those muscles, you know? And when you talk about that, that person that's helping with acquisitions or is the essentially CEO of the group, um, you, obviously too, you want to have good CPAs that understand this world, yeah. you know? And there are- CPA firms that are specific and, or I should say, have great service for this business model, you know, and if somebody has two DSO clients, you know, whether it's a lawyer or a CPA, right. it's probably a little bit of a problem, right? You know, because they just don't have enough, uh, enough experience to be able to offer to, to the client. As we're talking about this, Rob, you may just think of some, some of these dentists, they're so kind of spectacular building things. This is really a compliment, right? It's like, Someone reached out to me and goes, I got 12 practices. Do you know a good accountant I could use? I go, how did you get 12 practices without a good accountant? Yeah. But they do sometimes, right? Yeah. It's like they might have $10 million of dental business, which is significant to run, but they don't really have any infrastructure to it. And it's kind of like running by the seat of their pants. Yeah. That's why when you start to form these things, you start to have people... I guess when you get the right, not I guess, I, when you get the right people doing it, it can go really well. Yeah, oh, for sure. But if you get the wrong team doing it, it can kind of ruin everything you built. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, like I said, it only takes a couple of the wrong people or a couple of bad acquisitions to really stymie your, uh, your growth. Yeah. Uh, and I would say just, you know, as the takeaway here before we, we wrap it up here with this, this intro episode is it's just like anything it's really the challenge is knowing when to add overhead when to make right. the investment in this additional infrastructure whether it be human capital or you know physical locations or when do you have go out and spend money on a lease where you're going to right. situate your admin people you know is it after three four or five practices and again every situation is different but i think you know really understanding that you can't do this all yourself all the time. You know, it's just like anything else when you're doing a startup, the the owner entrepreneur is the one that right. is going to take risks, the one that's going to put in that extra time. But, you know, to your point, like you need to know when to flip that switch, or at least you should realize at some point you're going to have to flip right. that switch, switch, I guess, and and not just continue to haphazardly grow. You may be able to luck out at some right. point and, and get away with it. But, you know, luck out being the 
the key the key yeah, phrase you there. You got to guard against vulnerability, and there can be a tr tremendous amount in these in these days, but also tremendous opportunities. I think the reason why it's a good kickoff episode is we're just going to see more and more of this, and our listeners are going to hear more and more about it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed uh, our show today, as always, please give us a good review on your favorite podcast platform. And until the next time, thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.